Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, welcome to RF Capital's first quarter 2021 results conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Rocco Colella, Managing Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Colella. Uh, thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Welcome to our first quarter 2021 earnings conference call. If you have questions following this call, please reach out to Investor Relations. Please see my contact information at the end of our earnings release. Before we get started, I would like to remind you that this call is being webcast and available for subsequent replay. Today's remarks may contain forward-looking information and actual results could differ materially. Forward-looking information is subject to many risks and uncertainties. Certain factors or assumptions applied in the forward-looking information can be found in our latest AIF and MDNA. These documents are available on our website and at cdar.com. This morning, on the call, is our President and CEO, Keish Kapoor, and our CFO, Tim Wilson. Keish will provide opening remarks regarding uh, relating to the progress we continue to make in our transformational reset and other key takeaways from the most recent quarter. Tim will then cover financial results, and Keish will end with closing remarks, following which we will open the call to questions from analysts. I will now turn the call over to Keish. Thanks, Rocco. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us. We hope that in spite of the global health challenges and current lockdowns, you had a chance to celebrate Mother's Day. It is these precious moments with the powerful women in our lives, celebrating the strength of our community and family bonds, that remind us of what matters most. At our own firm, we pause to celebrate not only Mother's Day, but also the progress of our business. During Q1, we moved with purpose invested in our capabilities, supported our advisors and their clients, and along the way, posted strong financial results. With each step, we're inspiring confidence and building growth momentum for the long term. Some notable successes in Q1 include AUA being the highest in our firm's 17-year history at $33 billion, up $2 billion in the quarter, leading to record fee-based revenue of nearly $58 million, and adjusted EBITDA at Richardson Wealth, the foundational centerpiece of our growth strategy, reaching $14.1 million for the first quarter, the highest in seven years, and 23% above last year. While market appreciation was a key driver, almost half of the AUA increase came from advisors attracting new assets. What excites me about these results is that our advisors, the crown jewels of our business, are, second, are setting personal best performances month after month, and they're drawing more high net worth clients to our firm than ever before. This momentum is also drawing attention from talented advisors who want to join our firm. Our recruiting pipeline is the best it's ever been, thanks to the addition of Dean Mangeris to an already talented corporate development team that includes Mike Ankers, J.P. Jansen, Paul Landry, and all our branch managers. While we expect many to join us this summer, 
We welcome to our growing family those that have joined us since, the, since we announced our transaction last fall, including David Chipman, Ted Evans, Francois Fillion, Francois Normando, Li Yu, Louise Sale, and Liz Sawaya. These are all strong indicators of future performance, especially as they come just six months after our consolidation of the ownership of Richardson Wealth. Building on this success, we spent much of the quarter defining a bold and ambitious strategy to become the brand of choice for our Canada's top advisors and their high network clients. We recently unveiled that strategy internally in 12 virtual town hall meetings and countless one-on-one -on -one meetings. 94% of our advisors and employees indicated that they're excited to be a part of that journey. We know we must prove that we can deliver, and we will. To reduce execution risk, we've attracted considerable talent to our board and leadership team. We added five independent board members. These talented and sought-after directors include David Leith, Nathalie Bernier, Vincent Duhamel, Jane Moet, and Sandy Riley. These directors, and indeed all of the company's director nominees, are highly accomplished leaders and bring a depth of expertise, diverse views, and a strong desire to be fully engaged in helping us create meaningful, meaningful value for our shareholders, clients, and advisors. We also devoted time to strengthening our leadership team and redesigning our organizational structure so that we can better support our advisors and execute on our growth strategy. New leaders include Tim Wilson, Dean Manjuris, and Julie Burnham. With each addition, we're increasing the probability of success. Another growth accelerator is striking the right strategic partnerships, and we have a number of them in play. We're working with a preeminent global, manage, global managed consulting firm to reinforce our strategy by leveraging their deep expertise in wealth management and large-scale organizational transformation. Our partnerships with Cormark and Bloomburton have been paying dividends. Jamie Price, our thought leader in this space, tells me our deal flow is up significantly year over year, and by significantly, I mean that we participate in 277% more deals than in Q1 of last year. Our Sarah Widmeyer, Jeff Ray, and David Rubin will be announcing new partnerships in insurance in the coming weeks to further accelerate growth, including forming direct relationships with insurance companies as opposed to through third-party master general agencies. And of course, we will be continuously exploring the landscape of further partnerships that enhance our capabilities or deliver with significant input of our advisors, digital tools, and latest technology that will make it easier for advisors to thrive at Richardson Wealth. And our momentum doesn't stop there. This past quarter, a great place to work, the Global Authority on Workplace Culture once again recognized us as one of Canada's best workplaces. More recently, they also recognized us as a best workplace for women. To further strengthen our high-performing, advisor-centric, entrepreneurial culture, our people, led by Lynn Brijak and Jasmine Iris, partner with Achievers, an industry expert in the power of recognition, to give everyone across the firm the tools to publicly recognize one another's accomplishments and milestones and keep building on our strong momentum. Speaking of recognition, we're proud that Doug Mayer, Director, Wealth Management and Investment Advisor in our Calgary office, was appointed to the Alberta Securities Commission for a three-year term. Doug is a highly accomplished professional and is recognized as industry champion in the province of Alberta. I'm confident that Doug will be an outstanding addition to the ASC and, and the important role it plays in the administering the province's securities laws. 
and five of our high-caliber advisors are also finalists for the upcoming, upcoming 2021 Wealth Professional Awards. The finalists include Canadian Advisor of the Year, Ida Kajadorian, uh, Advisor of the Year, Alternative Investments, Francis Sabrin, Ida Kajadorian, and Rory O'Connor. Advisor of the Year, Responsible Investments, Francis Sabrin, Portfolio Discretion Manager of the Year, Francis Sabrin and Mark Dalpe, and Excellence in Philanthropy and Community Service, Jonathan Ross. These individuals are just a sample of the quality of advisors we attract to Richardson Wealth. Their nominations recognize the incredible work they're doing for their clients and their communities. We congratulate them on a job very well done. Our young and talented marketing team, led by Susan Fry, have also kicked off a comprehensive brand awareness campaign to tell our story across the country. It includes social media campaigns, sponsorships, podcasts, and traditional media. It also includes client events where we invite Harvey Richardson, CEO of James Richardson and Sons Limited, and Sandy Riley, CEO of Richardson Financial Group, to tell the powerful Richardson story to existing and prospective advisors and their clients. And on June 10th, we're co-hosting with Cormark a virtual event for clients and prospects on the 10 global trends that every smart person should know. All the accomplishments and activities I just outlined leave me with confidence or leave me convinced more than ever that our carefully mapped out growth strategy will create meaningful long-term shareholder value. For those who want to learn more about our progress and ambition, I encourage you to read our latest annual report, which was just released last week. It is on our website, and in it, Rocco has done a great job profiling some of our teams across the country, including candid photographs of them working from home, photographs that I know many parents will be able to relate to. Before I turn it over to Tim, let me officially welcome him to his, many, <coughs> to his first of many quarterly conference calls. Tim joined us from EQ Bank, where he was CFO for the past nine years. Prior to that, Tim was president of Visa Canada. He has a proven track record of delivering profitable growth and improving operational performance. And while he only joined us on April 5th, his fingerprints are all over a bold growth plan. Over to you, Tim. Thanks, Keish, and good morning, everyone. I'm delighted to be joining the company as it pivots to an ambitious growth stance. I'm also excited to have the opportunity to work closely with Keish and the rest of the leadership team and look forward to speaking and virtually meeting with many of you over the coming months. Before we turn to our first quarter results, let me highlight four noteworthy items. First, given we only started consolidating Richardson Wealth last October, comparability of our consolidated results year over year is limited. As such, my remarks today will focus largely on the business drivers at Richardson Wealth. Second, you will notice we have introduced a new metric, gross margin. This is calculated as total revenue, less advisor variable compensation. We use this metric as a measure of the amount that accrues to the company after we share a portion of gross revenue with the advisory teams that drive that revenue. As a result, operating expenses now exclude this amount. This change is a matter of income statement geography and has no impact on EBITDA or net income. Third, the results of our largely break-even securities clearing business are now included in the wealth management segment, with historical results realigned to that presentation. And lastly, Q1 results were affected by $7.6 in transformation costs, 
These costs related largely to the implementation of our new management structure. Now, on to the results. We are seeing early and strong momentum in nearly all areas of our business. On a consolidated basis, adjusted EBITDA was up $12.9 million year over year for two primary reasons. Improved performance at Richardson Wealth on the strength of all-time high AUA and fee-based revenue, and the fact that we're now capturing 100% of that performance versus 34% pre-acquisition. Because these consolidated results lack comparability, and as I mentioned in my opening remarks, I will be focusing on the growth drivers of the Richardson Wealth business. At Richardson Wealth, adjusted EBITDA was $14.1 million in Q1 and has been trending upwards since Q2 of last year as a result of growing gross margin and a stable adjust rate adjusted operating expenses. The adjusted EBITDA margin improved to 17.5% in Q1, up from 16.3% in the same period a year ago. Behind our higher gross margin, average AUA, the driver of revenue, was a record $31.9 billion and up 14% year over year. Growth was largely a function of market appreciation, but was assisted by organic factors, as Keish mentioned. Our strategic partnerships with Cormark and Bloom Burton allowed us to capitalize on a hot new issue market and record higher commission revenue. We participated in 215 new issues in Q1 versus 57 last year, an almost threefold increase. We anticipate deal activity to soften from Q1 levels in the remaining three quarters of the year. Improving operating leverage also helped EBITDA growth. Expenses were stable even as revenue climbed. Richardson Wealth's adjusted operating expense ratio declined seven percentage points from 85 to 78%. We will continue to focus on disciplined cost management as we enter the execution phase of our growth. With that, let's now turn to a few key balance sheet items. Our net working capital at the end of March was nearly $96 million. With improving operating margins at Richardson Wealth and growing recurring fee-based revenues, we felt confident about RF Capital's ability to continue generating strong operating cash flows through 2021. We currently have $109 million in debt on our balance sheet, and our debt's consolidated adjusted EBITDA is 2.3 times. That, in our view, is a very manageable level of leverage. Our subordinated bank debt and promissory notes come due this September. We intend to renegotiate our subordinated debt and may look to increase its size to support strategic investments. That said, our overall appetite for leverage remains low. Looking out over the remainder of 2021, we anticipate revenue from continued AUA growth to be offset by slightly no lower new issue commissions, and as a result, to realize stable EBITDA throughout the year, subject, of course, to broad market conditions. Thank you to all my team and to my colleagues for your hard work and support during my first quarter as CFO. I look forward to many more to come.
Now I'll turn it over to Keish for closing remarks. Thanks, Tim. To quote one of my favorite serial entrepreneurs, uh, Richard Branson, if your dreams don't scare you, they are too small. Our growth strategy is bold and audacious, but I believe the opportunities are achievable. We have accomplished so much even before implementing our new growth strategy. Each important step we take from here will just build on that momentum. Each step will help us become the brand of choice for Canada's top advisors and their high network clients. We look forward to sharing the details of our strategic plan at our upcoming AGM on May 26th. So please mark that in your calendars. And before I turn the call back to Rocco, I would like to acknowledge the enormous contributions of Andrew Marsh and Elliot Muchnick, who left us this quarter for personal reasons. We couldn't have got here without them. Andrew was with us for 17 years, including 11 as CEO of Richardson Wealth. He will continue to serve as an ambassador of Richardson Wealth as a significant and supportive shareholder. Elliot was at Richardson Wealth, CF, was Richardson Wealth CFO for 14 years. He built a strong finance organization and guided the firm through multiple transactions. I would also like to thank Ben Scholten for his outstanding service as head of human resources, interim CFO, and head of clearing operations. As he steps into a consulting role in our newly created growth and enablement office, which includes embedded support from our strategic advisor partner. Please continue to be well and stay safe and take every opportunity to say thank you to our heroic frontline workers and public health authorities. Without them, our road back to any sense of normalcy would be infinitely harder. I will now turn the, back, turn the call back to Rocco. Thanks, Keish. That concludes our, full, our formal remarks this morning. Operator, we are now ready to open the call to questions from analysts. Certainly, thank you. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. The first question is from Jeff Fenwick with Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hi, good morning, everyone. Morning, Jeff. So, um, Keish, thanks for the color at the start of the call on uh, advisor recruitment activity. Um, obviously, you're not uh, not wasting any time in, in trying to build that pipeline. Can you just give us some some sense of um, how that has been building? So, you, you you gave us, I think, seven or eight names of folks that have, have joined your uh, groups. Uh, perhaps some sense. I, I know this takes a bit of time, usually, for the momentum to build up there and for those decisions to be made. I think you referred to perhaps the summertime. You might start to see a bit more activity on that front. But any kind of color there you could offer would be helpful. Yeah. So, 
it's a great question. So we've been spending a, a considerable amount of time since October 20th, 2020, when we took control uh, of 100% of the asset to refine our story, to uh, you know gather input from all of our people across the firm as to what's important and what's not important, canvassing people in the market as to what's important to them in joining a firm that they think uh, is going to be the brand of choice going forward. And that's taken us the better part of 120 days in capturing that information, including working with our, uh, you know, strategy consultant on developing our long-term strategy. While we've been doing that, uh, we've added people like Dean Mangers to complement the works of, uh, you know, J.P. Jansen and Paul Landry and Mike Ankers. And through all of that effort, we now have a pipeline uh, of people that we're talking to that is approximately $10 billion in assets that we're talking to today. So our pipeline is probably the strongest we've ever seen. It takes time to get all of these people along uh, you know, the finish line. Uh, we are fully engaged in those conversations. Some are more mature than others. Uh, and I think you know, when I look at our organization, I say to everyone, you know, continue to grow the pipeline, continue to have the discussions, and in time, summer, fall, and the winter, we will start seeing progress and people joining us. And, you know, I can't really add any more than that other than saying that the level of activity and the level of interest, and certainly with Dean uh, and even Julie uh, Burnham joining us, we've had far more inbound, uh, you know, conversations uh, started by people saying, okay, well, let's, let's, we want to hear more about your story. They are now reading our annual report. They're reading our results. Uh, and, you know, we are going to share more of that at our AGM. And I think that excitement internally and externally is driving the growth of that pipeline, and hopefully it's all going to translate into, in fact, I'm confident it's going to translate into success and people joining us. Great. That's helpful, color. And maybe um, could you offer some, some commentary on the stability of the existing advisor base today? You mentioned you've been doing internal town halls. Uh, in, the same, in the meantime, you've had an external entity. I know Canaccord in the background has likely been having some direct conversations of their own, presenting their views. So what's your thought on on the certain the, the current sort of morale and outlook of the advisor base today? I think our morale internally is extraordinary. I think one of the things that we've done is uh, made sure that all our advisors are fully engaged in the development of the strategy. They've participated in the town hall meetings, uh, asked questions through the town hall meetings. Some people have participated by submitting uh, their ideas for the things that are really critically important to them and that we at the firm have to invest in, uh, we are doing so. Uh, we have heard uh, through surveys about the things that are important to them. We are, uh, I would say, getting feedback on those surveys, like I just announced, that you know, 94% of them are very excited by, by the journey that we're on. Uh, part of that journey, the message that we've laid out for them is very clear. First and foremost, we're going to focus on the 160 teams here. We're going to drive... Uh, all initiatives that are designed to support them uh, doing better here than anywhere else uh, and addressing things that are important to them, including investing in technology platforms that make sense to them. Uh, the second thing that we're going to do is supercharge recruiting, and they're excited by that. And the third thing is that we'll look at acquisitions on an opportunistic basis. So they get our strategy, they understand our strategy, they participate in discussions, and I'm probably more uh, engaged with them than we've ever been. In fact, I would say all our directors have reached out and spoken to five, at least five advisors and got their input on what matters most to them. So I would, you know, hazard to guess that our level of engagement is extremely high. The feedback and morale 
in my view, is, uh, is also extraordinarily high. That doesn't mean that from time to time we won't have one or two people that might be disappointed and for personal reasons or otherwise choose to go someplace else. But I have no doubt in my mind that all the people that I hear are here because they chose to be here in the, in the last transaction. They chose to bet on a firm that is intent on building something for the long term. And certainly, we built a firm that they asked us to build. They wanted us to make sure that we had a strong sponsor in the Richardson brand. So we're doing every single thing that we asked of, asked of them. Are we uh, uh, there in solving all of their issues? No. Uh, are we intent on solving them? Are we marshalling the resources to do that, prioritizing them? Absolutely. Great. Thanks for that. Um, and then you did call it some transformation charges that impacted the quarter here. I'm, I'm guessing there's a component that's uh, the, the cost of working with the, the consultant to build the strategic plan and perhaps some severance. Um, anything else in in those numbers, and, and is it going to continue at about that level for another quarter or two, or what's your expectation on that front? Well, first of all, I think you're right. That, that, that is, those are the two components to that, uh, that set aside. Uh, we expect uh, very low amounts to continue in transaction transformation costs. We, the bulk of that is here. There's some, there will be some, uh, you know, we are embedding the consultant in our organization for the next six months. And so you're going to see some of those costs uh, to make sure that we are executing against that strategy, but uh, they're not, they're not going to be of this size. Tim, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I'd say, Jeff, the one other component is as we move through the year and think about restructuring our insurance operations, as Keish mentioned, uh, we may have a charge related to that, but it's it's a one-time uh, one-time event that we will likely see in in Q2 of this year. But even the even the insurance one, we will have a one-time charge, but the recurring revenues that come from that one-time charge are three yeah. times three times that one-time charge. So. Yeah. Okay, understood. And um, you, again, we're, we're settling into a new reporting structure here, so I know the the clearing uh, state uh, segment, sorry, has been merged in with the wealth management. So I assume that that flows principally through the the interest income and the other line. Yes, that that's right, Jeff. Sorry, okay. would be. Yeah, and then one small accounting one here as well. The adjusted EBITDA number. When I look at the segment details for wealth. Uh, it didn't add back the entirety of the interest cost uh, or interest expense that you've listed there. Is there something that's sort of deemed kind of run rate operational? Maybe it's tied to clearing that, that it didn't. Uh... It's a component related to our securities for uh, lend operations, which we don't add back. Okay. Okay, that's all I had. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time if you have a question. There are no further questions registered at this time, so I will turn the meeting back over to Mr. Kalila. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. As always, uh, feel free to reach out to Investor Relations if you have any further questions. Have a good day. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.